Welcome to Marvel Us Disney. Welcome to Marvelous Disney, the podcast that discusses the most recent doings at one of the more interesting divisions of the Walt Disney Company, which of course is Marvel Entertainment. I'm entertainment writer Jim Hill, and my co-host, the amazing Aaron Adams, and I are recording this on Monday, May 20th, which is when all good things must come to an end. And no, I'm not talking about the season finale, or excuse me, the series finales of Big Bang and Game of Thrones, which I get on television this past week. Got to be a lot of pop culture fans out there who are casting around for a new show to watch right now. I, any suggestions, Aaron? What, what are you watching these days? Well, Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. is back. We'll get to that in just a little bit. But then coming out at the end of the month at, uh, on May 31st, we have Neil Gaiman and Terry Pratchett's Good Omens, which I cannot wait for. I, I think it's going to be the best thing in the whole wide world, and it's probably next to Endgame has been the thing I've been most anticipating all year long. Amazon Prime was nice enough to send me a review copy of Good Omens. You got a copy of the DVD, the Blu-ray? Um, well, no, they, they sent me a link to a review copy early on. I mean, it's... it's send me a link. <laughs> send me... I, I desperately need it. And it is the funniest end-of-the-world apocalypse story you will ever read. And it, yeah, it comes out May 31st on Amazon Prime, and I cannot wait for Good Omens. I got to watch a number of the episodes, and... This thing delivers the goods. So they they have David Tennant and Michael Sheen as the two lead characters, the yeah. the, the demon and the, the angel who are on Earth who are trying for their own selfish reasons to put off Armageddon. And it's amazing production values, wonderfully funny performances, uh, well worth seeking out. And how many episodes were you able to? I watch? we got through three of the six, and then things got busy between Nancy surgering and Alice coming to town. But speaking of limited series, though, Legion uh, starts its third season of FX on June 24th uh, in the 10 o'clock slot, which is great. Downside is in February of this year, Marvel Television revealed this would be the third and final season of Legion. And you sung the praises of this show earlier when we were looking at season one and season two, Aaron. But this is not one of those... We're pretending we had an, an end for the show, and it's okay to end at this point. Like Lost. Neil Hawley, the show creator, said that, you know, right from the get-to, three and then out was his plan all along. He, he said this to reporters at the Television Critics Association Winter Press Tour back in February. It's like, I think endings are what give stories meaning. I always thought that about this is a complete story, and it felt like three acts of a story. Did you watch it quite as faithfully as in season two? Or Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and I enjoyed it so much because it's it's very, very bold television making. Mm -hmm. They do not let you rest on your laurels. If you miss a scene, you could be lost for an hour. So you really have to pay attention. You have to be engaged in this show. Mm -hmm. to suss out all of the details to make it make sense. And some people hate that. You know, they don't want to struggle with their television watching. They want to turn off their brain. And this one requires your brain to be active because it's just not traditional storytelling. They had the end battle of season two with Legion, and I believe it was done like a music video to paint mm -hmm. it black. And the lead characters are singing the words and the whole thing. But, I mean, it sounds crazy. Like, that's just stupid. But it was fascinating, brilliant, beautiful, really brave television making to break the mold and try something different and to succeed so well at doing it. Can't recommend it enough. Well, while we're talking about Marvel on television, of course, there's Cloak and Dagger over at Freeform. And I can't not recommend that one enough. <laughs> 
Okay. <laughs> Let me just start off with, I, I started by, I was watching season two start yep. up and my wife walks in halfway through an episode and she goes, oh, is this season one? And I'm like, no, this is season two. And she's like, well, what did they do for the whole first season? I said, they thought about making a Cloak and Dagger TV show. They just never got around to it yet. There's a cloak storyline, mm-hmm. there's a dagger storyline, and every once in a while they'll they'll meet one another, but they didn't really come together, and I got, I want to say, three episodes into season two, and I just lost my patience with it, and I'm like, when you guys actually bring together cloak and dagger, so it's a full cloak and dagger story, let me know, I'll tune in okay. then. Okay. I like the actors. I like the characters. It's just they're they're not coming together. So that's why I get frustrated by that. It's like I just want them. It's together. interesting you have that take on it because the only episode that people have an option of, of watching is the one on May thirtieth, which is the final episode of, of season two. And last year, when season one was airing, by the time they got to the eighth episode, the show had been renewed. Freeform got behind it, announced that season. Two was coming, and here we are virtually at the end, and there's been no words from in regard to renewal for season three, so maybe there's more people out there that feel the way you do about Cloak and Dagger than there are Marvel enthusiasts. And Well, I don't know. Stuff may have changed in the last couple of episodes. If there's any listeners out there who still watch Cloak and Dagger and think it's really good and it's picked up, considerably send a little thing on twitter at aza prod and let me know to tune back in otherwise i'm I'm just out until season three i guess kicks in i might give it another shot then but now it's again uh, as we're working our way through marvel television here of course we just this past week had episode two of season six of marvel's agents of shield and you obviously on our last episode raised your concerns about how this show was marketed or how this season was marketed. Did episode Mm. two work any better for you or? I just haven't had the spare hour in the day yet to watch Mm -hmm. it yet. I'm eagerly anticipating it. I'm I'm not down on shield Mm -hmm. at all. I love the cast. I love the characters. I usually love the storyline. It's just, I'm a big fat pig. I want my cake, you know, so I don't, I don't want my vegetables Mm -hmm. right now. So I just want to get to some splashy excitement. And I think a a quest for fits is not splashy excitement. That seems tedious and and dull. And I just want to get the team together and, and action. So I'm ready for uh, episode two to see, see how it progresses. Well, without spoiling anything, you do learn a little bit more about Sarge, our Phil Coulson lookalike, and there's actually a really fun fight that I, I won't give away, but really plays with physics in an interesting way. But before we, we get off the topic of Marvel's Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D., though, there is there's a story mm-hmm. that's recently come to light that I thought was kind of intriguing. I, you know, remember how when season five of Marvel's Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. was coming to a close... There was an assumption within the fan community that this was probably it for the show. In fact, the fact that the very last episode of season five was called The End, we all thought was, well, that's kind of a giveaway. But four days before the show aired on May 18th, 2018, the show got renewed for a sixth season. Mind you, it was a short sixth season. It was only 13 episodes rather than the usual 22. But it was like, okay, it's coming back. But then uh, jump ahead to November of last year. And on November November 16th, Channing Dungey, uh, she uh, announced she was stepping down as the president of ABC Entertainment. And virtually the last thing she did before she went out the door 
was announced that Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. was going to be renewed for a seventh season. Same thing, 13 episodes. So what they decided to do, they shoot both seasons back-to-back. So 26 episodes in one run, and then they just cleaved them in two. And, you know, there's a lot of people in entertainment, you know, given that this was the very last thing before she went out the door, wondered, did Channing Dungey owe Kevin Feige a favor or perhaps Joe Casita? And this surprise renewal was her way of settling up that debt? Well, let's see. Did she quit or to get fired? She resigned. So many people were looking at what was about to happen with Disney swallowing Fox and figuring... They can ring the Fox television people in here, and if I'm, if I get out of here ahead of this and find my new job, I'll be okay. If I wait till you know the merger's over, and you know they bring in the other people, I may have trouble at that point. So she was being proactive, getting out while the getting was good. And well, there's the whole professional side of it. If she gets fired, then she doesn't owe him any favors while you're getting kicked out mm-hmm. of the house, right? Yep. So that that wouldn't make any logical mm-hmm. sense. And if she were leaving of her own free will and she wanted to have like a moment of goodwill you would almost think that her next step would be a job up somewhere within disney like hey i did you the solid favor guys uh where's my new office what corner am Mm -hmm. i in and if she's just going elsewhere then you know maybe they asked her for a favor like hey before you go do this real quick and you know we'll make sure you get a really nice a reference mm-hmm. letter, but I mean, you know, when you're that high up in a company, usually people are headhunting you. You're not looking for work too often. They find you. This is true. This so where she true. End, where she end up at? I guess that's the defining question. Where's she at now? And that will determine if it was a favor or not. Oh, we'll have to look into that. I, I will have that info for you with our next show. Okay, moving from television over to film, and I feel like we spend so much time lately talking about how much money Endgame is making but that said this past weekend some interesting stuff happened endgame just passed james cameron in it's avatar but only when it comes to all-time domestic box office ticket sales now that's just for north america thereabouts endgame sold 780 million worth of tickets in north america and only star wars episode 7 the force awakens has earned more during a domestic run that jj abrams movie earned $936 million during the time it ran in the States. And this past weekend, Avengers finally got knocked out of the number one spot. The first three weeks, it was the number one. It was the film to beat. But this past weekend, John Wick, uh, Chapter 3, Parabellum, uh, came out on top with $56 million. Avengers Endgame came in at 29 Well, Pokemon Detective Pikachu was three number three at, at $25 million. And what with... Aladdin opening up when this show gets posted today on the 24th. Mm-hmm. And next week, Godzilla, King of the Monsters, comes stomping into theaters. On, and to borrow a phrase from Thanos himself, it, it was inevitable that this you know, Russo Brothers movie was eventually going to run out of steam state, stateside and begin its slow side down the box of a chart. So at this point, it's hugely unlikely that Endgame will ever be able to top the Force Awakens stateside ticket sales. It's just, it's just not happening. There's no way they're going to sell another 200 and, me, $170 million of tickets stateside. So that's done. So now it's sort of pivoting to, okay, so can Endgame catch James Cameron's avatar on a worldwide scale? As of Monday, there's a $224 million gap between what 
Endgame is earned worldwide, and what Avatar is earned worldwide. And okay, it's playing in 55 markets overseas still. So okay, there's a chance, but China is the biggest market for Avengers Endgame. In fact, that the that Russo Brothers movie has already sold 625 million dollars worth of tickets on the mainland all by itself, which is actually a huge improvement over how Infinity Wars did back in 2008. It, that film would have played in China only did $360 million. But one of the reasons that Infinity Wars did as well as it did was because, well, in the Chinese market, they only allow in, it's sometimes 34, it's sometimes 40, but that's it, 40 film, and they actually, again, the irony is, they call them foreign films, you know, films from outside of China that are allowed to air in, in China's theater, but typically they only allow these foreign films to run for 30 days, and that's it. In the case of Infinity Wars, they allowed an extension, an additional 30 days, and that's what allowed Ooh. Infinity Wars to rack up you know, $360 million in ticket sales in China. Right now, we're in the middle of a really tough situation in regard to tariffs with the Chinese government. From what I'm hearing from friends at Disney, it's like they've assumed that there's just no way in hell that they're going to get an extension this time around and which means right. the 30 days for endgame playing in china actually ends tomorrow on on may 25th that film shuts down in thousands of theaters in china and that's it that the, the money spigot gets turned off and with ticket sales slowing down in the u.s and noticeably and with the money being shut off from china it's becoming less and less likely that Endgame's going to be able to close the gap with Avatar. It's just, it's kind of like when you and I were having the conversation about how many shows a day you can do, you know, of a three hour long movie. Right. I also had a, a great idea to get around that. Which is? Because the Avengers cast is so very large. You just get a, a film projector and a reel of film. You hand it to Chris Hemsworth, give him a ticket to China and go gather them, gather them at the borders. <laughs> And just show the film across this border here, collect the ducats or whatever it is, they bottle caps, whatever they pay mm -hmm. you in, and then just put it all in this bag and then come back home at the end of the week. And you just send the whole cast out around the territory and have them show their own version. It's so interesting <laughs> you, you mentioned individual cast members, because when you have a movie like this, when you have a movie like Infinity Wars or Endgame, where it's 10 years in the making, the cinematic spectacular with dozens of characters... You know, it's easy to get people excited about movies like that and and get them to buy a ticket. Whereas something like the Black Widow movie coming up. Do you see the story info that just leaked out about that? It's going to be a prequel. It's like they're working off of the Aaron Adams business plan. Remember how you talked about they were going to drop movies in to blank yeah. places in the story or, or things that we... They're actually supposedly the gimmick of the Black Widow movies, a good portion of this film will deal with why Natasha, if you remember in America, uh, Captain America Civil War, when that movie started off, she sided with, with Tony Stark about when it came to the Sokovia Accords, you know, the, to the effect that the Avengers needed oversight. But then we get to the battle at, at Leipzig, and she's the one who stalls out Black Panther and, and allows Steve Rogers and Bucky to escape. Because she's a double agent at all times, well, yo. Well, yeah, but, but again, you know, the whole notion is what <laughs> what happened off screen 
to cause her to do this. And supposedly it's it's a mix of that, which that means that... Can you remember how we were talking about how Chris Evans was going to retire from playing Captain America and start directing the the, the Winter Soldier and Falcon show? Wouldn't it be interesting if we actually get an extended cameo by Chris Evans in a Black Widow movie? To further muddy the water here, supposedly a big component of this film will be stepping backwards and showing how Natasha was trained as a young child to be an assassin. I just kind of hope that they have the thing with her and Hawkeye and they always keep mentioning, oh, this is nothing like uh, Budapest. No, I know the scene you're talking about, that great exchange in the original Avengers. That's a great line. That's a great bit. But they keep referencing, even in Endgame, when they're in the spaceship getting ready to go to get the soul stone, he even references, oh, this is so much better than Budapest or whatever. Okay. So that line's come up like three times. So by now, if they're going to be doing a Black Widow prequel, I'm almost expecting that that has to be referenced. No, that's a great thought. That's a great insight. And anyway, to get back to China, again, the, the thing is, you know, again, it's one thing to, to sell a movie like Endgame or Infinity Wars. You know, the Chinese moviegoers, because again, it's an event. It's quite another to, you know, when you're facing down the barrel of, okay, Black Widow or it, you know, Eternals, where it's just one set of characters that people don't necessarily know, it's that much more challenging, which brings us to, uh, you know, our next bit of news. Marvel Entertainment has just partnered with NetEase, which is this company out of China, a gaming company. They're creating a set of games, online games, TV shows, and comic books that are intended for Chinese consumers that are based on the Marvel Universal superheroes with the hope that if we educate these folks, they'll be that much more excited about the Marvel characters and will in turn turn out for these other sorts of movies, the Black Widows, the Eternals rather than wait for another Infinity War or another Endgame, because face it, that'll be another 10 years in the building, Aaron. There is another piece of news that had uh, shown up, I think it was today. Had you seen the bit about Kevin Feige confirming there's a video of Lewis recapping the entire MCU? Oh, no. And you know how he talks when he gets really, really excited. He goes really, really fast, and then he goes off on a tangent for a little second about his bagel Mm -hmm. or whatever. So they did a a special shoot of Lewis recapping the entire 10-year history of the MCU for San Diego Comic-Con when they announced that Michelle Pfeiffer was playing Janet Van mm-hmm. Dyne for Ant-Man 2. So it only it would only go up to Ant-Man 2, this recap, because obviously they didn't have Endgame done or anything by that point. But they're looking at the possibility of that being released almost like a one-shot, because mm-hmm. they're also thinking about revisiting the one-shot idea for Disney+. Plus. And you need Marvel content to fill up the Marvel space, so why not do a little one-shot here and there to flesh out some little tiny characters that didn't get all the screen time, but audiences mm-hmm. love. So I think it was a Reddit Ask Me Anything mm-hmm. session. The basic question was, are we going to get one-shots back? And you know, what about Louie doing a recap of everything? And Kevin said yes to both. Oh, that's so cool. Wow. Anyway, folks, that that basically wraps up the news portion for today's show. Um, When Aaron and I get back from our next commercial break here, he's going to share some stories that our listeners sent in in regard to Spider-Man Turn Off the Dark, as well as tell us about an audio technique that the Russo brothers used in Adventures Endgame that made certain portions of the battle scenes in that movie really stand out.
Aaron and I are so glad that you folks really enjoyed the feature piece we put together for last week's show about Spider-Man Turn Off the Dark. And the best part is a number of listeners who actually got to see this ill-fated musical during its the 38 months it was on Broadway wrote in to tell us about their experiences at the Foxwood Theater, whether they, they liked the show or not, and their favorite bits and pieces. Aaron, do you want to do the honors? or? Yeah, we're going to go through Pascal's letter real quick, and I'm, I'll paraphrase a couple parts and then quote the good okay. stuff. He went in June 2012, uh, took the wife and kids, that sounds like a good time, said the tickets were ninety six fifty. That was a discounted ticket with a partial view, so he wants to know what the orchestra seats were costing, probably a pretty penny, he bets. He was in the first row of the mezzanine, and the place was packed, lots of families, and he suspected that there were many tour groups or something like that, because it seemed like there was lots of groups of people coming together. He saw the revised version, not the original, with Julie Taymor. It was entertaining and faithful to its original source, despite the arachne spider godness, whose role, I think, was not essential to the story. And I would have to probably agree with that without even seeing it. Apparently, she was much more present in the first version of the musical, which must have been terrible. Even with her reduced presence, Arachne seemed superfluous. Fight sequences between Spider-Man and the Green Goblin in the air over the audience was spectacular, but the rest of the production left him a bit cold. Of all the Broadway productions he has seen, this one he liked the least. So, Fantastic Aerials did not sway him, Jim. Mm-hmm. The music wasn't particularly good. There was a song called Sinisterio, which I think is pretty funny. <laughs> the over-the-top costumes of the Sinister Six, they had Electro, Lizard, Craven, Carnage, Swarm, and dot, 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 Swiss Miss, question mark. <laughs> uh, he says the costumes were tacky. They are trying to do a Sam Raimi-type thing in certain parts, but it felt more like Batman 1966 TV show. So it looks like lofty goals, but didn't quite land on the execution there. So he says he's not surprised that the show stopped while the Phantom of the Opera or the Lion King are still going on today. One scene that he really liked in Spider-Man battling different crimes, which staged like a montage all around the theater. Suddenly Spider-Man appears right besides him and webs the guy to his left. And he sent a photograph of a little bit of webbing. Turns out that was just a little bit of paper that that is, I guess, wadded up or rolled up and then shot out with maybe compressed air or something like that. Who knows? But Oh, and then he says that I wasn't too far-fetched when I said that there was a line of Spider-Man waiting backstage in order to achieve all the stunts and appearances. There were, I think, 12 guys dressed as Spider-Man who bowed at the end of the show. So that kind of breaks the illusion, Jim, when Spider-Man comes out on stage, there's 12 of them to go, <laughs> well, we all did part of this. But uh, it makes sense, you know, when you're, I guess, trying to appear from one end of the stage to the other like a magician, sometimes a double would make the most sense, especially considering he's in an entire costume head-to-toe, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. mask-wise. You know, you're not going to be able to tell that it's a different guy. So, I mean, that that makes a lot of sense. and. That, very interesting to find out that little tidbit right there. Nobody got maimed that night except his wallet. Not the best show, but not a train wreck either. People involved were very talented, worked very hard, but sometimes results are just not as good as one can hope for. Thank you, Pascal, for sharing. And and next up, we have a, a letter from Peter Jenkins and his uh, reminiscence about this Broadway show. So he had traveled all the way to New York from Melbourne, Australia in April 2012 on a round-the-world vacation. Thank goodness it just wasn't for that show, otherwise he may have been disappointed. Uh, Some of the big shows at the Times, let's see, Newsies, Sister Act, Book of Mormon, 
so for the review of it, as far as the show itself, in my opinion mm-hmm. anyway, the script wasn't well written and the songs were pretty awful. The U2 writers clearly have no idea how to write for theater. And Jim, this will be the one and only time I mm-hmm. believe that I'll ever say, boy, I hope Bono and the Edge don't listen to us. <laughs> Okay, I think that's pretty likely, but but okay. However, the uh, spectacle of the show was definitely worth the price of admission. Visually stunning. My jaw hit the floor at least as many times as it did the first time I saw The Lion King. So, Lion King is very, very high up on the critic meter, right? This is high praise, So. Yeah, so that's a that's a good mm. comment there. The way the sets move changed perspective and gave the impression of being inside a comic book. It was masterful. And the flying was really cool as well. Thankfully, no injuries in my show. The audience would gasp and cheer as the characters soared around the auditorium. Yeah, that does really sound like mm-hmm. a good time. When Spidey made his first appearance in the suit, he leapt down and landed in a signature pose at the front of the stage, right in front of him. Before shooting webbing out over the audience, he managed to catch some and still has it to this day. And uh, what a good show. No, really, it was worth the price of admission. Heck yeah, so glad I saw it. So I guess what we've found here is that some elements worked for a lot of people, and there are other elements that did not work at all. And it seems that music comes to the forefront as not working, and some of the story issues kept coming back. So, Jim, you were actually right. It wasn't the people keep snapping their wrists, landing in a spidey pose. It was the script that needed to be changed. But the irony is that that Peter himself describes when when Spidey made his first entrance, he leapt down and landed in a cigarette pose at the the front of the stage. He he was in the exact spot where the guy broke his toe and then then the other guy broke both of his wrists in front of those you know, the people who sold tickets at groups. You know, Jim, had I ever gone and been in that audience, I probably would have taken three or four stalks of celery with me. So when Spidey landed, I would have snapped him. That's what they use for uh, bones breaking in in Hollywood films on the cheap, Mm -hmm. cheap. Just to see everybody in the cast faces, they go, oh man, we lost another one. (laughs) We took a good friend of mine to the Magic Castle in, in Hollywood. It's this... This club where you literally have to know somebody to get into the club, but the gimmick oh, yeah, is that yeah. they do close magic. There were four of us around a guy who was doing these amazing card tricks, you know, in front of us on a tiny table. He's like, oh, hang on, my deviated septum, I have to deal with this. And he leaned forward on the table and just rolled his face in his nose and made this awful cracking noise. You know, yeah. my friend Robin you know, just turned pale and almost, you know, looked like she was about to vomit. He's like, no, 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 wait. And he pulls his hand out from the, under the table and he had a styrofoam cup. He yep. had done the same thing you're talking about with the celery, only he had crunched the styrofoam cup under the table as he rolled his, his head back and forth on the table as if he were breaking his own nose at the same time. And uh, Well, again, you're a sound guy. You know how, you know, when you hear yeah. a sound you're not expecting to, to hear, how can it, it can affect you? And, and speaking of which, that brings us to our next segment of the show. You, you brought up a, a fascinating observation about something that the Russo brothers did during the big battle scenes in Endgame to really sort of sharpen the audience's focus. And just that alone was enough to convince me I got to buy another ticket to Endgame and go see this. I mean, sit through two uh, and a half hours more of movie to get to this point again. Can you tell the listeners about the technique you, you told me about? Sound is fun, but silence is golden. What's really, really brilliant is when you take sound away from a mix. 
And sometimes as an audio lover, I love the silence the most. And there's a reason for it. Now, here's the problem with this bit of exposition is that I don't have a digital copy of Endgame, so I can't pull any audio out of the movie. So what I have to do instead is I have to do some examples from other films, and then we're going to talk about a couple of key scenes in Endgame and see how those are used in similar fashions. There's a little bit of tech jargon in here, but we're going to throw some layman's term directly behind it so you can follow along. But you've only got, as a, an audio person, so much dynamic range, which is how loud and quiet you can be, and you've only got so much frequency range. And an audio producer looks at sound the way that an artist looks at a color palette. So purples and blues are the low frequencies from your subwoofer, greens and yellows are your mid-range, and orange and red is the tweeter frequencies. And if you put them all on the canvas at once, you get black. And it's just noise. Okay, so the overall concept is to know your color range or your frequency range of your sound effects, your voices, and your score, and make a decision of which sound is going to get the spotlight, when to add more, and more importantly in this case, when to pull back. And since, like I said, pulling things out takes more experience and restraint, this is where I find it to be a, a more interesting concept than a wall of sound. So some examples of not using sound, this is from Avengers, and it's called Stark Says Uh-Oh. And what we're going to listen for is the silence. And the silence is what makes it funny. Now, the setup for the, the audio clip, if you've seen Avengers, this is where the helicarrier is falling out of the sky. Iron Man is pushing the turbine of the helicarrier to try and like jumpstart the turbine and all of a sudden the turbine as he's pushing it starts to move away from him as the turbine goes faster and all of a sudden he's now plastered against the turbine as it's going faster than he can fly and Tony Stark says uh oh And so you've got the winning, the whining of the turbine and everything's building up and the music and then everything cuts away and Tony realizes he's in trouble and it's silence. He's by himself. He's like, uh-oh. And then everything it's kicks back funny. in. And you're right. It's what makes it funny is pulling the audio just enough for that, that quiet, uh-oh. So now we're going to move to a different universe in a galaxy far, far away, because these are two of my favorite, but they're also two of the very best examples. This first one is the seismic charge from Attack of the Clones, one of my all-time favorite sound effects ever. And the reason why this sound effect is so very, very powerful is not because of how loud it is, it's because of the silence that comes directly before it. We're going to listen to a couple of different things. We're going to listen to Obi-Wan's Starfighter as it flies away into safety. We're going to hear the silence kind of suck away to absolute perfect quietness over the course of like half a second. It's really, really quick. And then we're going to hear it a, very, a very loud as the seismic charge explodes. Seismic charges. Stand by. Now, the reason that sounds so loud is because of the silence before it. Obi-Wan's spacecraft, when you measure how loud it is, it's minus 15 decibels. We measure audio in negative numbers and we work our way up to zero. The explosion is at zero. So your difference between minus 15 and zero is only a difference of 15 decibels. 
Now, when you suck all of Obi-Wan's StarCraft sound away and you get to perfect silence, you get to a, a depth of 54 decibels of quiet to all of a sudden zero decibels of loud, and that's a dynamic range of 54 decibels. So now it's over three times louder just by sucking all of the sound out, giving it a split second of pure silence and then a massive explosion. Okay. This last example to uh, underscore how silence can be used is, again, from the Star Wars universe. This is taking the uh, previous example of the seismic charge to an extreme. This is the scene that came out of The Last Jedi, where the Rebel transport is used to ram the super mega capital ship at light speed. And Jim, if you'll remember, they actually had some theaters put up some warning posters saying, this is not a technical fault where the sound cutouts. This was an artistic choice by the director. At one point in the movie, there will be no sound. It's meant to be that way. Yes, yes, I remember hearing about that. Yeah, okay. okay. Because we're going to go from a moderately loud sound to almost pure silence for a full nine seconds, and then a very loud blast, it takes you by surprise. So again, if you got your headphones up, may want to turn them down just a touch and protect your ears. Execute. I really love that shot in the movie. It was so artistically beautiful. It was very almost stylized. Oh, I agree. I agree. And and again, you're right. And get her that by choosing to get her the moment of impact. Again, you're sitting in the auditorium and you're watching that ship basically split in half by the other ship. And then to have the wall of sound come roaring in after that quiet made it give it that much mm. more of an impact. It really, you know, sort of framed the moment. Well, it's it's kind of like almost like a jump scare in horror movies where things get really quiet and then the cat goes meow and everyone jumps. It's that loud noise. It's not that the cat is scary or a cat's sound is scary. It's just going from very, very quiet to very loud all of a sudden. And to pull all of that away and let you linger in silence for a long time and then blast you. Now, the thing is, that explosion is not any louder on a technical level than the explosion we played before from the seismic charge. It's just that the space of silence was longer and it felt louder, you know, but it, it wasn't any louder. And so what I noticed is there are many, many times where they use silence in Endgame. And there's a couple of very key moments where they use it in three different ways. First, well, the first one I'm mentioning is when we get reintroduced to the Guardians of the Galaxy opening the song Come and Get Your Love is playing and only after the shot has established itself as the same time and place as the opening of Guardians 1 is when the music gets pulled out of the mix, leaving Chris Pratt sing a very poor acapella of Come and Get Your Love. And a few seconds of silence as Rhodey ponders what's in front of him. And then he says, so he's an idiot. <laughs> See, it's, it's that pause, mm -hmm. that moment of silence where you think about it and go, yeah, all right. They had a full soundtrack going, they had sound effects going, they had everything, and then they, boom, pause to a, a, a bit of silence and let you kind of ponder in a moment. And that was one of those moments where, at reading in an interview, the sound designers were like, in order to make the joke work, that's how we had to kind of cut that and make that land. And you don't realize that joke doesn't work if the music is still playing. 
and it's Chris Pratt singing along to it. It only works if you take that music out and let him sing badly by himself with no good music behind him, Mm -hmm. right? So uh, another one is when Peter reunites with Tony Stark. You've got the entire war of the civilization of the entire universe taking place all around you. But in this moment, all of sound and music is pulled out of the mix so we can escape the chaos for a moment and, and just bask in a, a moment of warmth, which was really, really needed in this movie. We had to remember who we were fighting for, what the battle was about. And for Stark, you know, it was the younger generation. It wasn't just Peter, but it was also his daughter. And, you know, he wanted to make sure that even though he was bringing everybody back, he didn't lose what he had in that time in between so you'll notice that they use silence to let emotion happen while we watch the battle of endgame it's exciting it's thrilling but that's not where the emotion happens the emotion happens when we pause everything and let tony and peter reunite for a second and then we go back into the chaos. You have to give the audience a chance to stop from being amazed and overwhelmed with sounds and explosions and blasts and let a true moment happen. Otherwise, you know, what is this all for, mm-hmm. if not for the people? That's true. That's true. Excellent. Excellent insight. And then we'll go to one final quiet moment in Avengers Endgame. And this is right before the tide of the battle turns Thanos calls down for rain fire and we see like five or six of our heroes and explosions happening near them, but not hitting them. And they, you know, fly out of the way and land and roll over and agony and whatever. And all of a sudden everything stops. The music stops. Everything gets incredibly quiet. Rocket looks up into the air and goes, what's that? And then the cannons start to slowly raise up, and then they start shooting off at something at the in the distance. And this is the return, of course, of Captain Marvel, where she blasts through the the large spaceship that's firing down on on her friends and saves the day. And again, these are moments where there's music going on, there's explosions, there's all kinds of chaos and mayhem, and everything just gets sucked up, and it's a dry moment with no sound whatsoever where you get to catch your breath, look around and wonder and go, yeah, what is going on? You know, you have to be in that moment with those characters. And it's when you take sound away that the emotion actually happens the most. Got it. Got it. Because I, I had to go through all of this, I found some some notes and whatnot. Mm. And I found... <laughs> it, was, it was basically the difference between Ant-Man and Iron Man. And Ant-Man tech is old because it was invented like in the 70s uh, with the Pym particle Mm -hmm. and all that. So they're using older tech sounding stuff. But with Iron Man, they're using more update current tech. And so uh, I was going to do a a thing of Ant-Man versus Iron Man, but it became too long and convoluted. But I do have one more audio recipe for the listeners on how to make a homemade suit of Iron Man armor. Hmm. Jim, I want you to participate with a little quiz. Okay. I'm going to play a sound clip. This is going to be from Iron Man 2 when Tony Stark gets his briefcase on the racetrack and he puts his hands in it and it starts crawling up his body and creates the Iron Man suit. This is the sound of that. And while we listen to the sound, I want you to see if you can find any one, two, three pieces of audio, like by name, what sound effect are they using to make all these little bits and bobs? And you can be generic. It sounds kind of like this or whatever, but see if you can snag any at all, okay?
one noise that kind of leaped out at me is remember old flash cameras you know that that yeah buddy yeah, that sort of whine noise that when the flash was powering up yeah you you hit the nail on the head you did a a plus mm -hmm. job very good that's one mm -hmm. sound and then it's basically i just sit there and i play it over and over and over and go what is mm -hmm. that you know and you, you end up kind of reverse engineering a sound and, and getting little bits and parts and obviously i don't have all the tools that they have at like skywalker sound or where they're actually making magical sound i've only got what i've got here in the apartment so you have to kind of work with what you got but one thing is whenever they do something with metal because remember iron man is metal one thing that's used a lot is an anvil strike but i think that sounded a little bit too high so i dropped the pitch of it here's it with a pitch drop just a little bit lower you know it's if you want something to sound bigger you make you lower the pitch if you want something to sound smaller you raise the pitch another thing i got are servos just little mechanical wheel grinding sounds, but I want them to sound smaller, so I raise the pitch. This is the funny one, Jim. I got uh, an iPhone lock and unlock, which you wonder what the heck you're gonna do with that, but here's what you do. You take those two little clacky noises and you copy them and you put like 10 of them in a row and you group them together really, really tight and then you raise the pitch on them as they make their clacky noises and you get this. Ooh. And those are like the little metal plates that are kind of clacking up mm -hmm. the arm. Really, it's a really, really stupid thing to do. But I mean, you're, you're, you you got to create something out of a fictional fantasy world out of real life. So you just grab sounds and you manipulate them to make them sound like what you want a little bit more. And then here's an, another kind of funny one because you have to do things differently. Here's a jar opening. But I want it to be a closing sound, and I don't want it to sound like a jar, so a simple way to do that is just reverse the sound. And now it sounds like it's science fiction all of a sudden, that little... And then, of course, Jim, you, you called out the camera flash. You gotta have one of those. So now, all you do is you just kind of layer those up in, in a way that kind of makes sense to you. So I put a the anvil hit, and then I put some servos, and as the servos turn, I put the little iPhone lock unlocked, clack, 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 uh, on top of it, so it's like the gears are moving the little metal plates into place, and you get something a little bit like this. I mean, that doesn't sound great because I really didn't mess with it. I'm just throwing stuff into a, into a session and kind of lining them up. But a real easy way to kind of cover up how weak that sounds is throw some rock and roll over it. Jim, check this mm -hmm. out. I am Iron Man. A little rock and roll fixes everything. Oh, that is so cool. Wow. Oh, I love that you did that. I've missed these audio segments. I'm, I'm, I'm glad we circled back on one. Okay. Wow. Well, what a great way to end this week's show. So thank you, Aaron, for spending the time. Because face it, that, that takes just first you have to listen and then you have to find the sounds to do that sort of reconstruct. And all I could pick out of that was that flash wine. Killer job. Thank you. That's it for this week's show. If you like what Aaron and I do here, please head over to iTunes and rate and recommend this show. Uh, better if you really, really, really like what we do, you could head over to Bandcamp and subscribe. It, that helps keep the lights on 
here at uh, the Jim Hill Media Podcast Network. And we also have some other shows we'd love for you to check out. We have, of course, Disney Dish with Len Testa. We have The Universal Joint with Dustin Fuse. Uh, we have Looking at Lucasfilm with Dan Z. Uh, we have our fine-tuning with Drew Taylor. And we have I Want That with Michelle Valladolid, which focuses on the wonderful world of merch. Thanks for listening, folks. And Aaron and I will be back with a brand new show very, very soon. Take care. More Marvelous Disney will be coming soon. In the meantime, check out one of the other great shows found only on the Jim Hill Media Network.